You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. And I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check out the main site, denverstiffs.com. We got lots of good stuff going on, and even starting next week, starting up a couple cool new weekly features um, that I think you guys will enjoy. This episode of the show is going to be on Trey Lyles. Um, the first two segments are going to be on Trey Lyles, going to talk about the things that went well for him. Some of the things that, you know, some of the weaknesses uh, in his game at the moment. I mean, he's a young dude. He's got a lot of, a lot of room to grow and hasn't played a ton of minutes in his career, both, you know, this year in Denver and then also his previous two in Utah. Then I'm going to wrap up the final segment by talking about Torrey Craig. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to go over with him. He's a pretty cut and dry guy. I think everybody kind of knows what he brings to the table, what he doesn't. Um, so that'll be today's show. Before we get started, though, if you want, you can take the Locked On Nuggets survey. I'm trying to survey the, the regular listeners. I've got about like 250, so I haven't gotten that many you know, relative to the, to, to the listenership of the show, but I have gotten a good sample size to kind of get an idea for what people are thinking. But if you haven't done, haven't filled it out yet, it takes anywhere between two and five minutes depending on how quickly you can answer questions but it really helps me to just better prepare this show um off season doing a lot of you know meeting with different people and trying to figure out how to improve the show and so your feedback will really be appreciated and really help with that all right let's get right into it trey lyles this was his i think best season of his career by a pretty wide margin which isn't shouldn't be surprising for a guy you know most players in their third season is better than their previous two especially guys his age Um, this was his age 22 season he actually played about the same number of total minutes as his rookie season and only slightly more than last season which is kind of surprising so you think about coming out of Utah he was very unhappy with playing time and and he got demoted he you know to to kind of end of bench role there at the end there well he didn't play that much more in Denver and he was kind of demoted to the end of bench role in Denver he didn't even play in that Minnesota game so um at, at the end of the season so I, th- I imagine some of his frustrations are similar he did have a pretty big role in December and January um and, and really his best two month stretch of his entire career really a great stretch those those two months but outside of that, he it was really more like like what he saw in Utah. So um, I, I wonder what his frustration level is. He had a career high though this season in minutes, points, assists, rebounds, and blocks, uh, all per thirty six. So minutes total, and then the rest per thirty six. So even if you just account for him playing more minutes, he still put up career high numbers in all of those categories. He also had a career best three point field goal percentage and two point field goal percentage. Actually, it wasn't a career best. It was tied with his rookie season um in three-point percentage but he took twice as many threes so per game so on twice as a a big of a sample he maintained his rookie level 38 percent three-point shooting his two-point percentage went through the roof last year he shot just 40 percent inside the three-point arc this season he shot 56 percent which is an elite number um or a pretty pretty darn good number and i think if I think more than anything is maybe that uh, the most encouraging part is maybe that part of his game was just his ability to sort of attack the rim and get to get into the paint. He's a very he's very good at attacking the rim for his size. Um, I mean, he's a tall dude, six ten, 
a, a tall 6'10 and athletic, way more athletic than I thought. He had that monster dunk. He had a couple of good dunks, but he had that one monster dunk. I don't remember which game it was in that was way above what I thought he was capable of just in terms of, of athleticism and explosiveness. So I think you look at a guy 22 years old, not even in his athletic prime yet, I think he's a guy that you could probably say um, – you know, we, we really haven't seen the best of. That's that's probably the biggest takeaway I have from, from Trey Lyles this season was he has some pluses, some minuses, but I feel like we haven't really seen the full extent of what he's capable of. And I don't know that he necessarily knows what, what his ideal version of himself is yet. And that's maybe maybe one of the things to kind of think about going into this summer. I think he's still scraping the surface himself. He also had an incredible free throw attempt rate. Uh, if you look at the per 36 numbers, 3.8 uh, free throw attempts, which is up over a free throw attempt per 36 minutes from, from his previous two seasons. He was at 2.1, 2.5, this year 3.8. So his ability to get to the to the free throw line improved this year, and I think it's something that with certain lineup combinations and, and just kind of him working on his game a little bit more and getting more polished, that's that could be a real – aspect of his game that that he can get better at and he's just an off such a versatile offensive weapon I mean he's good in just about every type of of scoring when his th his three-point shot's a little bit streaky but but when he's on you know 610 high release you just can't block it I mean that's a, a 610 three-point shooter shooting 38 percent it, that that's huge um so so he has that but then his ability to put the ball on the floor he's got a, a handful of moves he can post up uh he can roll to the rim on pick and rolls he, he's got a little bit of everything in his game and that's what makes him i think such an exciting process or prospect if you can just harness those like the more you can refine his game i think the more he becomes a real asset as a player um and, and a really really dangerous uh, kind of piece there were moments in this season and I was texting uh, my professional gambling buddy who, who bets on the NBA for a living and uh, big money. And, and he really thought Trey Lyles in that December, January stretch of the season said that, you know, that was the missing piece. You got your your core four now. Um, I don't think people look at the Nuggets core as a four right now. They look at it as a three, Murray, Harris and Jokic. But there was at least a moment in this season where you thought, OK, maybe Trey Lyles is that missing piece. Maybe he's that fourth guy and he's the power forward of the future. I don't think the season went that way and he, his minutes kind of got reduced and reduced and reduced as it went on. Um, but but at least there were moments and flashes that you kind of saw that. And as I get into the lineup data, I'm going to go over a lot of that in the next uh, segment. There's a lot of reason, I think, to be encouraged by sort of his potential, some uh, of what he could become, not necessarily what he is, but what he could become. And lastly, he did a, a very good job of rebounding this year uh, up from from some of his per 36 uh, minute, uh, minute totals or rebound totals in the past. 7.8 as a rookie, 7.3 as a sophomore, 9.0 this year. So he made basically a one and a half or two rebound per 36 minute jump, which is uh, which is really, really impressive. All of the negative stats, like turnovers and fouls, those didn't really move. Um, or if they moved, they moved in the right direction. They went down. So um so I think that that you're really encouraged that this was his best year, and he still, I don't think, uh, is, is getting the most out of his skill set. On to some of the negative parts of, of the game. I think, obviously, you have to start with defensively. Is the, is the, the main reason he didn't play more minutes this season was, I think, you know, Malone sort of 
wants a defensive guy in that power forward slot. But he has, in my opinion, some defensive upside that he has not really tapped into fully yet. He grades out, he measures out really well in synergy defensive metrics. And I think one of the underrated aspects of basketball, especially on the defensive end, is just length. And he's got that, the, the mobility plus length combination, you know, on spot ups. He was he was kind of an elite spot up defender um, relative to the rest of the Nuggets Nuggets players. He just has that size to kind of contest um, and the mobility to kind of con- to, to contain, to contest and contain. But he really hasn't put it together uh defensively yet i think the next season or two is going to be huge for who he becomes as a player because if he can really become somebody that malone trusts more on the defensive end i think it takes the nuggets to a whole other level and maybe he does become that fourth piece i think the nuggets need for him to become that fourth piece in order for their upside to 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 become much higher than what it is right now. I think the Nuggets need a fourth guy. Right now, that's clearly Paul Millsap, and it should be. But if you look at what's the trajectory of this team two, three seasons out, you're always looking for that next guy. But I think Trey Lyles at least has the theoretical upside to be that guy, even if it's somewhat unlikely that he'll reach you know his full potential, kind of given how his career has gone so far. As a three-point shooter, he's very streaky. He shot 38% in November. 48% in December, which is just a ridiculous. He was so on fire in December, and he was shooting the ball with such confidence. Back to 38% in January. So November, December, January, all great shooting months. February, 25%. March, 33%. So it fell off a cliff there the last two months of the season. And I think he's a rhythm player. I think a lot of, like – skilled big men like six ten players and taller that are skilled not just brutes i think they're very much rhythm players because you know they don't get to touch the ball as much as other players they don't get the, they don't get the ball to like kind of isolate and do the things that that put you into rhythm so when you're not playing a lot and you're not kind of involved in the offense i think your offense really really can plummet and when you are involved and you are playing a lot i think your your rhythm really really goes up so i think bigs in particular are more susceptible to these types of swings and in december and january he was playing so many minutes i think like close to 30 minutes per game over those stretches started two games um but but was a, a major part of the rotation in those months and I don't think it's a coincidence that those were his best months another criticism I have of him is you know sometimes he fits into Jokic ball what we call Jokic ball when the ball's popping and everybody's touching it and cutting replacing spacing every everybody's just on a string sometimes he fits into that really 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 well and he looks awesome I think he one of the things that surprised me about him this season was how good of a passer he can be in moments um, but then at other times, he's far too aggressive as a one-on-one scorer and misses really, really easy reads. So I think he's a guy – most guys fit into this narrow spot on the spectrum where it's like, okay, this is – when they're on, they're this guy, and when they're off, they're this guy, but it's really, really close in terms of style. I think with Lyles this season, um, I, I felt like there were stretches where he was just a perfect cog in the machine and fit in. The ball would find him, and he would score. If it didn't, he would move, and everything was going well. And then there were times where it was like, man, Lyles, what are you doing? You keep, you're, you're pressing. you got 10 shots in six minutes and, and, and just, just way too aggressive. So, again, I think a lot of that has to do with rhythm more than anything. I think the more he plays, the more he would settle into the, the correct role for him. But at least that's one thing that I, I that concerns me a little bit is I think he can be somewhat of a ball stopper slash bad decision maker when when the ball's really moving. You hate when it's pass, 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 everything's going great, and then one guy like screws it all up and runs into the wrong spot, does you know does the wrong thing or something. And he did that a, a little bit this year. 
I'd also love to see him this is where you have to really think outside the box in terms of player development with a guy like him because Trey Lyles isn't a typical power forward by any means. He's a stretch. He's a really a modern day four, a, a kind of an, an offensively at least kind of an ideal modern modern day power forward. And you have to kind of think progressive with him. He only had ten possessions this season, according to Synergy, in the pick and roll as the ball handler. And you don't think too often of, okay, he's 6'10", he's going to do the spot. He, you know, you think of him almost like Ryan Anderson, I guess, as he's going to spot up, we can post him up, the, these, these things. But, you know, his handle's pretty good, and his decision-making isn't atrocious. I would actually work with him, and, and this is like a two- or three-year process, if I was training him, and, and, and say, you know what, let's make you comfortable enough in the pick-and-roll to make basic reads and maybe second-level reads, but not, not, not those elite. You don't have to be John Wall or uh, Chris Paul in the pick-and-roll or anything like that you don't have to make these crazy cross-court passes but just being able to run a four or five pick and roll with where your four is the it's so different for defenses to have to guard that action they're not used to it even when you put stretch bigs out there this is part of what makes James Johnson so good as you know in Miami as a playmaking power forward is there's just not a lot of teams that are that comfortable with defending those types of actions well I think Trey Lyles can make the basic reads of turn the corner and if you have a lane to the basket you attack if they double you you can you're, you're tall enough to make that easy uh, either pocket bounce pass or just throw it over the defense to the roll um, or if not you just you know you have your safety valve that can come and relieve you the, the the guard on the weak side who can come and, and it, who is either open because they, they've helped off of him or he can just come and get the ball and, and reset the offense or, or keep it flowing but having him comfortable enough to make reads in that I think makes him not just a good player but a great player it's something I would love to see him spend some time um, working on um, and and now here's the biggest really the way I look at Trey Lyles, there's this idealized version of him that I really, really love. And then there's the, the how does he fit into this roster and in particular to the style of play that the Nuggets seem to want to play under um, this the coaching staff. And, and that's to say, I'm not sure Trey Lyles is a Malone guy. We, you've heard on this show how much I've talked about Kenneth Fareed's fit alongside Nikola Jokic, and clearly, and look, he's a defensive liability, like the worst option at power forward defensively, I think, on the Nuggets roster. So I completely get why Malone elected, and and on top of that, I imagine there was probably some, um, you know, butting of the heads between Malone and, and and Kenneth Fareed behind closed doors. I don't know that. I just assume a guy that can't get off the bench even in garbage time, something had to have happened there. So he didn't play him. He did play Darrell Arthur. He played Mason Plumley alongside Jokic and Millsap a ton, like almost exclusively, and um, played Darrell and Darrell Arthur. So he seems to like to go with defensive power forwards, especially when you're playing alongside Nikola Jokic. And that's just not Trey Lyles. I think Trey Lyles can be a good defender. I think he can be a scheme defender and his height and size can give him that advantage that that makes him playable against most matchups he's not a very good post defender like when you get a big brute of a power forward he has no chance against him um so so there are guys that can take him down to the low block and and render him somewhat um ineffective but i don't think teams can play that way for 48 minutes it's just there are some teams that are going to make him a little bit more tougher to fit into a rotation at least at this moment but more than anything, I just don't know that he fits to to the style of play that Malone wants, and and it's a bit of a shame, I think, because um, I would have loved to have seen more minutes with Paul Millsap at center and Trey Lyles at power forward. They played just 19 minutes together at, at that combo, center, power forward, Lyles, Millsap, 
all season. Just just 19 minutes in 14 different lineups, which tells me they were playing those basically one possession. That was a out of timeout, 22 seconds left on the clock. We'll call a timeout and we'll put in this this lineup at the end of the first quarter just to to try to get one extra bucket. That was basically the extent of when those two played together. And maybe it doesn't work defensively. Maybe Millsap can't play center. Although I don't believe that every team is, you know, Julius Randle plays center. All the, the teams get smaller and smaller each year, and Millsap's a pretty strong dude who does a lot of things that a that a center can do already anyway. So I, I imagine you could steal some minutes with those two in in your front court, and and it would be very interesting. It was a dynamic. It was a great lineup in 19 minutes. It just we it's 19 minutes. What can we go off of? Um, the Jokic, and this is the craziest thing. When they got Lyles and lost Danilo Gallinari, I thought. Last season, uh, two seasons ago, I guess the not the one that just ended, but the one before, I thought, okay, the Gallo Wilson Jokic lineup was Denver's bread and butter. That was their absolute peak best lineup, and I think that Lyles will be a, a replacement for Gallo. Maybe not as good. I don't know his game fully, but you know he's six ten. He's just a matchup nightmare. Wilson six nine, Jokic six eleven. You got three guys that are all tall that can put the ball on the floor and are just a mismatch nightmare. You, we're going to see a lot of that. We didn't. We saw 199 minutes of it, and it had a plus 10 net rating. It was an awesome lineup for Denver. They just never went to it. And I think all but like 20 of those minutes came in December and January. Basically, they came out of necessity. The only time they played those lineups was out of necessity. And I just find that so strange. To me, this this Nuggets team had coming into the season a a, uh, a couple of built-in advantages to them, and that lineup was one of them, and, and it's a shame that we didn't get to see more of it. It's not the best defensive lineup, and I don't think I don't know if that's a starting-type lineup, um, but it is a lineup that I just find so fascinating that, that most teams don't have at the end of first quarter, start of second quarter, whatever, somewhere in there. They just don't have enough 6'9 versatile defenders to guard all three of those guys, and I think more often than not, you can really screw with other teams' rotations by forcing their starters to come back a little bit early in the second quarter than they want, especially at home, really wear them out. Uh, but Denver didn't do that this year, and I don't think they're going to do it next year, quite frankly. I just We, we know now from, from three years uh, of Michael Malone, and he's not wrong at, about this, by the way. The team can't survive playing defense the way that they have. And I think, and and I think what the coaching staff says sees when they look at this is this lineup will never be good defensively. Therefore, it's not worth investing time into right now because uh, at some point there's a ceiling on this. I don't know if I if I would agree with with that logic. And first of all, I think it's absolutely one of the better lineups that the Nuggets could have thrown out this year. Just if you're turning about. Uh, you would have. I think you win more games if you played small like that. It's not even small. They're all six ten. It's tall small ball. Um, I th I think you would have won more games, but it would have come with some real growing pains in terms of. I don't think this team would have ever figured out anything on the defensive end. At least this year, it would have been more of a long term term outlook, and um, and, and so it just didn't happen. So, going forward. My biggest question with Trey Lyles isn't what kind of player he is or, or, or any of that stuff. It's what will his role be on this team going forward? Because if he is not go if if they need a more defensive minded power forward at all times on the court, I just don't understand why you keep Trey Lyles. He becomes a restricted free agent at the end of next season. And can Denver realistic? First of all, can Denver realistically sign him? They're going to have you know a lot of money coming off of the books, but he might be a player that commands a little bit more money, you know, that somebody maybe sees as a more versatile weapon. 
Um, is he, if if it's clear even after next year that he's not going to play a ton of minutes next to Jokic and 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 not a, a ton of minutes in these small ball lineups, then is he really somebody that they're going to be able to afford? And is it somebody that's going to be a big part of their team? Uh, I, I don't know about that. I think. I think under uh, I think if the team was committed to playing a little bit smaller, he would this would be a no brainer. But I just don't know that the team is or will be in the near future. And so, is it does it make sense to trade him now to a team that might see a little bit more value without you know instead of losing him for nothing? So I really like Trey Lyles. If if, if I were running the world, I would probably be playing him a ton at power forward next to Jokic um, in in smaller lineups. I just don't see that happening, and and that's what makes it tricky for him. Lastly, I want to talk about two-way Tory Craig, guy I, I think every Nugget fan really enjoyed watching this season. And uh, what a strange year for him! You know, he came over to play on the summer league team, and it wasn't even—he wasn't even really on the radar I don't think is like oh he's going to get a roster spot it was more like oh this is an interesting guy let's see what he's got looked like the best player in summer league and that included Wancho and Beasley and Monte Moore all those guys Torrey Craig looked like the best player gets the two-way deal but then of course with this stupid two-way rule he he really he spent this entire season and it's incredible how well he played given that he had almost no practice after training camp had no continuity, was flying commercial, was flying to different cities on different days and not around the team. And he still managed to kind of insert himself into the game and make a, a pretty big impact. So I think he had a really, really, uh, I think he's a really, really encouraging player. I have no idea what the market is for a guy like him. Offensively, he's very raw. He's aggressive. He does all, he's a hundred, he's an A plus plus in all hustle stats. So that includes defensively, but that's, but that's also just rebounding and loose balls and, and upping the energy and the intensity level. He's, he's an A plus plus in that regard. And I think given how talented Denver's roster is, not just the starting group, but even you talk about Will Barton and Trey Lyles off of the bench, you need sometimes just a guy who stays in his lane and hustles. Like that's an incredibly important role. And he seems to not only embrace it, but thrive under that role. But it is hard to evaluate how he would be in expanded minutes, giving his limited tim uh, playing time this year, but also his limited ability on the offensive end. He's a guy that even, even down the stretch of, of, of this season, Opponent opposing teams were basically daring him to beat to beat the Nugget or to beat them, and so they would just leave him completely open. And he's not that bad of a shooter that you just say, okay, just leave him open and we'll see if he knocks it down. But when you talk about a high-powered offense, sometimes forcing the ball into your worst player's hands is a great strategy, even if that worst player is pretty good. You know, we saw this with Al Farouk Amino, who is another guy who's not a horrible three-point shooter, but he's he's okay. But sometimes if you just say, you know what, we're going to give Al Farouk Amino nine shots in the first quarter. And if he makes five of them, so be it. If he makes two of them, then he's his confidence goes down. The team's confidence and rhythm gets thrown off and all of those things. And teams did that with Torrey Craig. He knocked down enough of them for them to be able to maintain that, that winning streak. But I do think it would be one of those things where in a playoff series, teams would ask, can Torrey Craig beat us four times out of seven? Probably not, so we're just going to leave him over. I think he's an elite-level hustle guy. His defense is probably slightly overrated. He had the worst defensive rating on the team, and I know that that's a super flawed metric, especially given the limited amounts of minutes that he played. Um, but nonetheless, 
it, it's something to kind of take note of. He's in the 17th percentile per synergy, uh, 17th percentile on pick and roll defense guarding the ball, 13th percentile on spot up. And, you know, he hustles and he closes out hard, but I think he also rotates hard and he doesn't have the height or length to kind of really get in guys' line of line of sight on shots. He is really, really good in isolation and like kind of as an on-ball guy. And I think that's where – I think more often than not, fans think of perimeter – or not just fans – Casual basketball observers look at on-ball defense on the perimeter as that's like everything, and it's not. It's actually a really small part of basketball. You know, there's pick and roll, there's there's off of handoffs, there's how you help and rotate all these things. But Tory Craig is really, really good on ball. He really hounds people, um, and I think that's what pe- makes people think, oh, he's an elite level defender at all aspects. The same goes for rim protection and bigs, which again is a huge part of defense but I think that's people think it's the only part and it's not uh, for Tory Craig really really good on ball kind of like shadowing guys and, and containing guys off of the dribble but not really good at some of the other the other aspects of, the, of it just yet um, I'd, I'd love to see him back I do worry that he would be a little bit of a, a crutch for for Michael Malone it, similar to the way that Mason Plumley. it's not that Mason Plumley's is a bad player it's not that Tory Craig's a bad player it's that He's sometimes used as a crutch that takes away from some of the better things that the Nuggets are doing because those two players both do things that the uh, the coaching staff value so much. Um, so I do wonder if he would become that that kind of guy, and, and and Malone would lean on him maybe more than what he is he's useful for. Um, and here's a craziest stat that maybe the craziest stat of the year: he played roughly one fourth of his minutes without Jokic, Plumlee, or Millsap on the court. You're talking about the three main front court players. Somehow he played 150 of his 620 minutes uh, with with none of those three guys. Now, I think a lot of that is because he played some garbage time minutes at end of games. But some of it, too, is just kind of indicative of how weird things got this year with with some lineups. And he was out there with Darrell Arthur at center, Trey Lyles at center a lot. Um you know some weird stuff like that so i was really 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 surprised to see that so many of his minutes came without a a center or without your lead power forward on the court thanks so much for listening guys we'll be back again tomorrow to to wrap things up with wancho hernan gomez we'll see you then thanks for listening to the locked on nuggets podcast be sure to subscribe on itunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com